This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is the New Yorker Radio Hour, a co-production of WNYC Studios and The New Yorker. This is the New Yorker Radio Hour. I'm David Remnick. In the late 70s and into the 80s, Brooke Shields was one of the most famous and controversial people in America. But if she was somehow notorious, it had nothing to do with her exactly. It was the position that she was put in as a child actress and as a young model. When she was 11, she starred in Pretty Baby, playing a child prostitute. And when she was 15, she starred in a heavy-breathing desert island love story called Blue Lagoon. And there was a notorious series of ads for Calvin Klein jeans that set a new benchmark for skeezy suggestiveness. So for a while there... Brooke Shields seemed to be at the center of everything that appalled or titillated people about the era. A new documentary about the life of Brooke Shields is airing next week on Hulu. My next guest is is really a beautiful young lady who at 13 has already achieved an incredible amount of recognition. Uh, Brooke Shields starred in the uh, highly publicized film Pretty Baby. And she's the subject of a new book called The Brook Book. She is quite a fascinating young lady. Would you welcome, please, Miss Brooke Shields. Shields spoke the other day with The New Yorker's Michael Shulman. I really didn't realize the extent to which you lived your entire life in the public eye. I mean, it seems like you were, uh, you know, from infancy, you were modeling. Do you have memories of, like, coming to realize that your life was unusual in some way? Here's the problem with that way of, not your way of thinking, but the but that kind of rationale is I never knew anything different. So I think I've, I've seen um, especially actors um, go from real, real, not relative, but anonymity to fame sort of in one movie or overnight. And the shock to their system, mm. how much their world changes, is what undoes them, mm. you know? Whereas I only knew working, and I only knew school and jobs. That's what you did. And I only worked from 3 o'clock on, even if they would be like, oh, there's a 10 o'clock appointment for her. And my mom would be like, all right, we'll see you at 3. <laughs> you know, she, and they were like, but it's at 10 o'clock. And she's like, she's in school. Right. So much of the documentary are these clips of you on talk shows sitting across from some middle-aged man asking you to essentially defend yourself or asking creepy prurient questions about your sexuality or your love life. And then you are usually sitting next to your mother and um, kind of making the case for how this is 
it's fine. And I, I just, there's so many of those clips and I, in a way I feel like self-conscious right now because I'm also someone doing that yeah. <laughs> in a way, like asking you about the kind of complicated morality of, of this work. But um, how did you feel sort of sitting in those chairs, like being on talk shows, being sort of interrogated like that? It just never ended. I mean, it would just, you just got so, I mean, there were some clips later where, or maybe this one made that made it in. I don't know where, where you can see me go up. Oh, here we go again. Here we yeah. go again. Like I became this, like, you know, vaudeville kind of like, Oh, like here it comes, you know, like the question or whatever. And I just sort of it just, I think it made me lose so much respect for the. <laughs> excuse me, but the press, <laughs> because it didn't, it, there was no one place that had even a modicum of, of, um, integrity. Brooke, what are your measurements? Um, I'm 5'10 and 120. I don't, I think when people see you, they don't realize. And, and to, to, to have Barbara Walters want, talk about my measurements, to have, you know, Phil Donahue or these people, you know, Tom Snyder and, you know, and they just like sort of, there was nothing intellectual about it. And so you right. saw these adults who you thought were supposed to be the smart people in the world be so low as common denominator that I just became sort of shut down to all hmm. of it because I thought, here we go again, you know, and you watch this little girl and you think, Shame on you guys. Like to me, the, I'm, I've put more blame and shame on the interviewers and the press than I ever would about the, about pretty baby, the, the subject or the content or the, like that knew exactly what it was. It set out to do. Mm-hmm. And it was an artistic endeavor. Then you get to these journalists and you think, how is that okay to talk to a child like that? Right. It's you know, very it's, uncomfortable to watch. <laughs> it's uncomfortable to watch. And it's so, and I just learned at a very young age, you know, not to really trust people. And, you know, I used to think, oh, if I say this, I'll be liked. Or, oh, the journalist is going to get it. They're going to see it, you know. And I just learned at a very early age that that wasn't going to be, that wasn't the nature of the industry, mm-hmm. you know. This is the New Yorker Radio Hour. More to come. WNYC Studios is supported by Lincoln Financial. The questions around retirement have gotten tiring. Instead of, have you saved up enough? Shouldn't they be asking, what is it that you love to do? And how can we help you keep doing it? The truth is, you're not slowing down, so your retirement plan should be more of an action plan, a hiking plan, a music plan, a sailing plan. The point is, whatever you're passionate about, we can help make sure you never stop. At Lincoln Financial, we have the products to help protect and grow your financial future, so you can keep doing more of what you love. Make your pastimes last a lifetime at lincolnfinancial.com slash action plan. Lincoln Financial Group, marketing name for Lincoln National Corporation and its insurance companies and broker slash dealer affiliate Lincoln Financial Distributors, Inc. Copyright 2024, Lincoln National Corporation. 
and if you are watching this video, either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect, her father, the Sheikh. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake, at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There's five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically, I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts. What I want to talk about next is a very complicated thing, which is pretty baby, not only the name of your uh, documentary, but of course was also your breakout role in 1978 in uh, the Louis Malle film, which... Breakout role. Is that <laughs> so funny. Is, is that not the way to say <laughs> no, it? No, it's I mean, the way. It's just so... It's it's so funny looking, like, re-examining all of this and sort of thinking, like, yeah, that's what they call a, a, a breakout. This is Brooke Shields. Breathtaking in her screen debut. Constantly changing. Always surprising. Like the image of... Yes, I certainly do. You love my mother more than me. I know about those things better than you. You always know those things about men when you're a woman. I watched it recently for the first time, and uh, honestly, I I loved it, but I also do not know what to think about it. Oh, see, I think it's all. the most beautiful movie I've ever made. I think it's the only real quality film I've ever really been in. Mm. Like, I just I value that movie so in such a different way and wrote my thesis on it and this sort of the the i'm fascinated with that journey of innocence to experience right you know and how who owns it and how they you know do they become a victim to it or do they not and i don't know it's just very interesting to me that movie you yeah. couldn't make it today obviously that's what the big theme is now it's like oh you couldn't make that movie today i mean you couldn't but it's it's it is a beautifully done film, and it's you know it's a uh, about a a young woman who lives in a whorehouse in turn of the century New Orleans, and this young girl's transition from in a way as you were saying thinking not knowing that this isn't a, anything but normal right, and then kind of following her mother's footsteps and you know becoming a a sex worker herself um how how was the character and the plot described to you and who described it i went in and um just talked with polly platt and with louis mal and they he just asked me questions like are you aware of what prostitution is and i was like yeah you know i often see on 42nd street the girls standing on the corner and you know, I always worry that they're cold and, you know, and so mm. I just told him those stories about, about that and growing up in Manhattan, you know, I was a city kid. So, and I was a city kid with a single mom. So, it, it, you know, I, I saw New York in the seventies in a very sort of raw way. 
Um, that was how I grew up. Hmm. And, uh, and then he just, you know, asked me questions about the era, you know, the early 1900s and what the wardrobe looked like. And, and he said, you know, we're telling the story. It's a true story. It's about a young girl and it's about, it's a love story. Um, Ostensibly it's a love story, but it's also, um, he wouldn't have said coming of age at that point because I don't think I would have understood it, but Hmm. it, he was talking about the mother and the daughter and we talked about like my hobbies <laughs> and like what I liked doing. I liked riding horses. And, mm. and I think he just wanted, it wasn't about a proficient performer or a Lolita. It was about an, the innocence in mm. an, an innocent and what, how that innocence gets sort of taken but her choice to not be a victim and at the end, you mm-hmm. see it at the end of the film cinematically when she turns around and looks into the camera and it's the first time she, you know, looks right down the barrel of the lens and there's a young sort of news, newsy boy behind her and he's blurred. And that's the last sort of frame and how mm-hmm. she sort of turns that being she in a voyeuristic environment she then turns it around and says okay i'm in control now you want me to put a bow in my hair and be a kid i got to and it's this like to me i don't think i knew that until later when i really analyzed the film right i'm I'm always fascinated by what child actors understand about what they're doing especially when they give an incredible film performance well, it's hard to know, you know, I, no one was teaching me anything. So I, I wasn't being shepherded in any way, but it was interesting because when the, I had this, the kissing scene with, um, Keith, this I is think Keith it, Carradine, Keith who plays Carradine. the photographer who becomes your husband. Kind of, yeah, your husband. <laughs> we get married and I had never, you know, kissed a boy before and, and you're 11 in this I'm movie 11. right and i i didn't know how to to do that and i had a kiss i didn't i'd never you know and and i was like oh god i don't know what to do and so i kept scrunching up my face and the director kept getting mad at me and and so keith says can i just have a minute with her and he and he says you know i mean he was in a very difficult position. I think he mm. must have. I mean, I don't know. I never really spoke to him about it in, in later years, but it must have been kind of just harder, hard for him, you know, because yeah, I'm kissing know, just, an 11 year old. I know. I mean, it's it, weird. It, it's, it's weird. And, um, he, he said to me, you know, this doesn't count as a first kiss. Mm-hmm. And I will always be thankful for that. It's, it's just so different from anything now. And I love how the documentary ends with, um, <laughs> You talking to your daughters, who I guess are Gen, gen Zers? I, I guess, yeah, I think so. That's, yeah, they're 16 and 19. You haven't seen Pretty Baby, you haven't seen Blue Lagoon, no. you haven't seen Endless Love. No. I will never, ever watch Blue Lagoon. Sorry. Okay. Why not Blue Lagoon? Because she's like naked. No, I've seen Pretty mm-hmm. Baby edits on TikTok and it makes me not want to watch it. Shh. Because it's like the movie itself is like, that. this is nothing against. No, 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 no. I'm not saying the movie itself is like about something that's not okay now, right? See, I never saw Pretty Pretty. Is there nudity in it? Yes. Are you nude? I'm nude twice. Hmm. 
with my little 11 year old body. Yeah, That's weird. Weird. Why wouldn't you be able to see that movie today? Why wouldn't that movie be able to be made today? I feel like it's just everything's changed. It's called child pornography, technically. You were, you were 11, you weren't mature enough to be making your own decisions, and other people signed off being like, oh no, she's fine. You, she, you can take her mm-hmm. top off, she's fine. They blew me away at the end of, when, because they weren't prompted at all. I didn't know that they were aware of any of that or thought that way or, you know, and it was really, it was interesting that to see them say that what they felt about it. Right. You know, and, and I was just, I was proud of them for being able to be, to be able to talk about all of it. I mean, I, I don't know. It, it's again, you know, you can't really say like, oh, it was just a different era. It was a different era. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I and like Gen Z knows so much about consent now as a, and thinks about it a lot. Right. And that that seemed to be what your daughters were saying is mm-hmm. that how could you have had consent over being new at 11? And you wouldn't, I wouldn't have known to say no or that I could have said no. But it also didn't occur to me to say no. Right. You know. Yeah. And it seemed like, and, and this is one thing I really learned watching the documentary, is that basically everything you did became what we would in, in the present time call a discourse, you know, <laughs> whether it was the Calvin Klein mm-hmm. commercials, um, which people thought were too sexy. You want to know what comes between me and my Calvins? Nothing. Calvin Klein jeans. I was curious if you've read... Um, the supermodel Emily Ratajkowski's book, My no, Body. No, but I, um, I'm going to be on her podcast and she's going to be on mine. And so I'm getting the book and I'm going to read it, obviously, before I speak to her. I mean, yeah, well, it's interesting. I was thinking about watching the documentary about you because, like you, she was, you know, the face. And in this book, it's, it's a book of essays and she really grapples with what it means to, um, kind of like, make a living off of your image and your beauty. Um, wait, I want to, I, I have a, a quote from it that I thought was really. Oh. Whatever influence and status I've gained were only granted to me because I appealed to men. My position brought me in close proximity to wealth and power and brought me some autonomy, but it hasn't resulted in true empowerment. And she's talking about sort of participating in like the influencer economy and sort of, being the face of whatever brands, you know, and I'm curious, like, do you, you know, when, when you, um, you know, had, had the, the Calvin Klein jeans ads, it, it almost seems like a catch 22 in that, you know, you're sort of, uh, criticized for being too sexy in, in those ads. Um, and yet also the people doing that are like the people profiting from it are, is Calvin Klein jeans. But that's your job. I mean, you're selling. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So it's like I don't. It's I can't. I can't be a hypocrite. And on the one hand, say I'm going to sell your stuff, and we're going to sell. I'm going to sell it, however, however I can. You know. And if this is what it is, then that's what I'm going to do. Because it was acting. You know. But I don't then get to turn around and and sort of negate negate it or put it down or say like, oh, I'm being used. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you do. 
you know, it's like, right. I just, I don't, there is no, I don't believe in like this righteous kind of all of a sudden. It's like, I'm sorry, but <laughs> you know exactly you're making money and you're selling something. And in most cases, you know, sex sells, right? So come on, like, <laughs> just shut the up. Yeah. Like, you know, you go, oh, I'm being objectified. You're a model. It's the the point. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not being negative about that because I think she's, she's very right about what her perception of that is. But by the same token, like, I don't believe in having a poor me. Well, in a way, what you're saying is very consistent with what you were saying at 12 and 15 on these talk shows, which is, you know, which is that I, I, I knew exactly what I was doing getting to this and it's fine. I mean, do you feel like what has changed, if anything, about your perspective on your early career, just as you've, as you've gotten older and lived more life? I mean, do you feel like you have the same opinion on it as you did then? Pretty much. I mean, I, yes, I answer my children and saying, you know, would that be a world that I would put them in then or now? And the answer is no, but they're different people. This is a different time and I have a different perspective, but I don't, um, do I have a different perspective about my career? I think I've really, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't think I've really changed. I mean, I feel like the, at every step of the way, every time someone criticized, it so clearly became about them to me. Mm. You know, and I would watch it time and time and time again. And I think you're the one with the problem and you want me to have this problem. Mm. And I, I can't grant you that because I don't. That is not my perspective. Now, that's hard for you to take because then I'm not a victim. Then what does that mean? And then it reflects back onto you in some mm. way that you think. Like, so I, I'm proud of the way that I was able to maintain my point of view. documentary Pretty Baby, Brooke Shields, is on Hulu starting April 3rd. You can also read her interview with Michael Shulman at NewYorker.com. I'm David Remnick, and thanks for listening. I hope you'll join us next time. The New Yorker Radio Hour is a co-production of WNYC Studios and The New Yorker. Our theme music was composed and performed by Meryl Garbus of Tune Yards, with additional music by Louis Mitchell. This episode was produced by Max Balton, Brita Green, Adam Howard, Kalalia, Avery Keatley, David Krasnow, Jeffrey Masters, Louis Mitchell, and Gofen Imputubuele, with guidance from Emily Botin and assistance from Harrison Keithline, Michael May, David Gable, and Meher Bhatia. Special assistance this week from Mike Dodge Weiskopf of KCRW. The New Yorker Radio Hour is supported in part by the Chirina Endowment Fund. On Notes from America, we have conversations with people across the country about how we can truly become the nation that we claim to be. 
Each week we talk about race, our politics, education, relationships, usually all of them, because everything's connected. And you, our listeners, are at the center of those conversations. I'm Kai Wright. Join me on Notes from America, wherever you get your podcasts.